0: Welcome to Elijah's Space, the podcast where we explore the impact of mental health on our daily lives. In today's episode, we'll be discussing the topic of trauma and how it affects our mental health. Our guest is Kwaira Jackson, a highly enthusiastic and self motivated professional social worker with experience in working with at risk populations. So sit back, relax, And let's dive into this enlightening conversation. Hello, audience of Elisha Space. It is my pleasure and my honor today to have with me Kwaira Jackson. She is a licensed clinical social worker who works and specializes in assisting those who are dealing with complex issues of trauma. Those issues of trauma, she takes your hand. And she goes step by step. And whatever it looks like that step might be, she assists and supports you. Her organization assists and supports you to get to a greater healing place. She is the owner and the director of Iyama Center. And it is my deepest honor. And I'm so grateful that you're able to join with us today, Kwaira.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm equally honored to be here.
0: Well, thank you. So audience, I was going to like go through the whole, all of the, cause she is so much more than what I said, first of all, in that introduction, but I decided to try to make it as simple as possible. Cause if I listed everything she's do- she's able to do or has done the podcast would be 30 minutes. So <laughs> the podcast would be the full amount of time because she has so much She has so much depth and she has so much breadth that she can assist and support you guys with. And so I thank you for coming onto the show and for joining my audience today. Can you tell me a little bit about your background, your experience with working with trauma survivors? What is your journey?
1: Sure. So as you mentioned, I'm a licensed clinical social worker. My professional journey to this field was inspired by my own childhood trauma which compelled me as a young aspiring lawyer to be a voice and advocate for children who didn't have a voice. Mm -hmm. Though I had intended to pursue law at an early age, I learned very quickly upon my entry into undergrad that you could not take up law at an undergraduate level. um, You you, um, would have to acquire your degree in like political science or history or something of minimal interest to me. And so I went to all the different department heads at that time, seeking to better understand each discipline and the career opportunities in each of those fields. And I landed in the office of a devout social worker, who was the department chair for the social work department at that time. And she enlightened me about how broad the field of social work was and the true heart and mission of the profession of social work. I had a very skewed view of social workers just by way of my exposure to them through the media growing up. I thought they were the people who went into people's homes and just just disrupted families. Yes, Mm -hmm.
0: right.
1: Yeah. But she enlightened me about how broad the field was and how the mission of social workers are truly to be change agents and catalysts, advocates for people, vulnerable people, in all facets of life, with different populations and in different settings—public, nonprofit, government—and how social workers are employed in almost every entity of our our society. And I knew then that if I never went on to pursue another degree beyond undergrad, that I could see myself fulfilling my life uh, mission in the field of social work. And I uh, went on to complete my undergraduate degree in social work, and then. Went on to acquire my master's in social work as well. I did consider the dual degree in social work and law, but felt called by God to commit my life work to the field of social work. And that's how I landed here.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. It's amazing. I love hearing other practitioners' stories about how they land here because most of the stories is part of their healing journey. It's not by accident. And it truly is a calling, isn't it?
1: Absolutely. 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 You can't do this work unless you're called. Can't do it effectively anyway. You got people's right. lives that are at stake. So absolutely.
0: So for the audience, what would you define trauma to be?
1: So trauma is any experience in which one has where they feel threatened or unsafe. Um, And that varies really by each individual. I mentioned the earlier stages of my journey to this field, um, but I started off working in a nonprofit setting with people who uh, presented with co-occurring disorders, both mental health and substance use disorders. And I developed my niche for trauma working with that population because what I realized was that many of them who were presenting with varied substance use disorders and mental health conditions all had a consistent theme. And that was that they had some undiagnosed, untreated traumatic experience at some point early on in life for which was not identified and not appropriately treated. And so trauma is, in fact, defined very distinctly differently by each individual. It's almost in the eyes of the beholder. It can be anything that causes a threat to one's sense of safety. And what I may experience as traumatic for me may differ from what you, Elijah, may experience that may be traumatic for you.
0: I often mention to people that trauma can be paralleled, and I'm sure you said something similar too, to being in a car accident and that jolt is the trauma. You know, like when you're in the car and you have a jolt in the in the car. So if it's something that makes you jolt, that's your trauma. And it's uh and you're correct because what might make me jolt may not make you jolt, but it's still trauma.
1: Absolutely.
0: Yeah. What are some common types of trauma you've seen?
1: Most often relational trauma, broken in relationship must be healed in relationship throughout the course of um my clinical work, I have discovered that, you know, more often than not, the most consistent themes upon those in which I treat is that there was some form of breach and trust in a relationship that threatened their sense of safety, security, or understanding of the world around them. So going back to the question about how to define trauma, I think of trauma as an emotional experience or a response to an event that they considered traumatic. And by by recalling that event, it may not necessarily be accurate or congruent with what actually happened. But by way of their experience, how they experienced that event, it became a trauma. And so, trauma can simply be the feeling of being paralyzed at the time an event that they felt helpless to change their experience, and may have even felt that their life was developing in front of them without any control whatsoever.
0: What I'm hearing you say is that something could be defined as a trauma, even if the memory of it or the facts around that memory of it was not correct. Is that yeah. what you're saying?
1: hmm Yep.
0: Can you give an example of that so the audience can get a better understanding? Sure. I told you she was good, right? Go ahead.
1: So let's take a child, for example, who may have been... Snatched from a caregiver, perhaps by another caregiver. Let's taken into consideration children who are in families who are, in, you know, navigating custody battles, right? Because of the intense conflict between the two parents or caregivers. Let's say, for example, a child is snatched from the care of one parent by the other parent. So for that child, right, that could have been very traumatic, Although still in the care of two parents or caregivers, just the the intensity of the conflict and the uncertainty of the sense of loss of control in that moment, they could in fact be paralyzed emotionally by what is happening around them and their memories of what happened may not be congruent with what actually happened based on how they experienced their parents or their caregivers in that moment. Is that helpful?
0: Yes, it helps a lot. And I think it will help them too. What are some of the common types of trauma you've seen?
1: So I mentioned relational trauma, right? but there are specific types of relational trauma. When you think of trauma from the standpoint of the work I've done with children who've experienced all types of abuse, abandonment, neglect, may even have been abandoned by a parent or neglected by a caregiver. Those are forms of trauma, but the root of them are relational, right? Something happened in the relationship with an early on caregiver where their sense of trust in that caregiver's ability to care for them or commitment to care well for them was breached because of abuse, abandonment, neglect, displacement.
0: It's common for those who have had a relational trauma to withdraw from other relationships because they're scared they're going to get hurt. If you're questioning audience, have I experienced trauma? That might be something that could be a way for you to kind of know, okay, maybe, because if you're withdrawing, let's say you were in a relationship or there are a type of relationship and you find yourself withdrawing from that type of relationship with others, that could be as a result of a trauma. Because just like if you have like that jolt, like I was referring to, you want to try to avoid, for instance. Let me try to think of another way to say it. It's hard for me to define trauma. It's not like a one, two, three thing, right? right. So
1: I can help. You want to? Uh, let me jump in here.
0: Yeah, jump in. Yes, please.
1: So when we think about trauma, um, I usually ask my clients to answer two questions, and if they can answer yes, then I tell them they have the autonomy to define if they have been a victim to some form of trauma. Mm -hmm. So those two questions are, have I experienced a situation where I felt that I was in immense danger Mm -hmm. and that as a result of that feeling of danger, that my life would be significantly changed as a result of that experience? If you can answer yes to those two questions, it's safe to say that you have been exposed or predisposed to some form of trauma. Because again, trauma is any form of threat to one's sense of safety, security, or understanding of the world around them.
0: And that can even be, maybe people don't necessarily think of it this way, but even grieving. If you have someone that passed away, like a parent, that's a trauma or a child, that's a trauma. Because Mm -hmm. maybe not the safety side, but your world is completely altered as a result. A spouse, that's a trauma. It's a security, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So think a little bit bigger audience when it comes to that span, because we're not just talking about physical safety, mm-hmm. right? We're Emotional about safety. Mm-hmm. what makes you feel secure, what makes you comfortable. I often equate it to, you know, if someone jolts up, if you have your favorite blanket and you like to wrap in it to watch Netflix or something like that, and then somebody yanks it. What what has gone on around you that caused that blanket to be yanked? What, that sense of security. Mm-hmm. So what are some common forms of treatment? What are some treatment things you've done that have helped people?
1: So I um, utilize two very trauma-informed treatment modalities in my work with individuals and families. Mm-hmm. The work that I do with families is called Trust-Based Relational Intervention, which stands for TBRI, the acronym for that modality. It was developed by doctors Karen Purvis and David Cross out of Texas Christian University. And it was developed specifically for children who have complex developmental trauma, um, usually because of some form of trauma they experienced early on in childhood that may have been recurrent, repetitive, and resulted in a breach in their ability to connect and experience a sense of felt safety in the care of a loving and trusting caregiver. And so this modality is built on three principles. One, connecting, two, empowering, and the third, correcting. And so usually what we learn is that children who have experienced complex developmental trauma, they present with behavioral differences um, than our neurotypical children. And they also may have impaired learning. They may struggle with their ability to problem solve. They may have short-term memory. They have difficulty with recall and memory. They may lose small motor skills or have what we define as attention deficit disorder. They may have hyperarousal and vigilant because of trauma uh, histories. They also may have difficulties with both expressive and receptive language and understanding. And these Challenges they present with early on in childhood may be misinterpreted, if not processed through the lenses of their trauma. So, children who have experienced significant trauma develop maladaptive behaviors to survive. What they learned Mm -hmm. in the care of adults that were not trustworthy, who did them harm, was that they were not safe. And so, they use survival skills like violence, control, manipulation, aggression, deception, triangulation to survive Mm -hmm. and essentially they have to learn new skills to develop healthier attachments and relationships in the world around them but they can't without a safe and nurturing healthy caregiver to help rewire the brain through the neural circuitry that's developed through, through, through healthy relationships that differ from those that were harmful so the brain is palatable it can changed. New neural pathways are being created in our brains every day through our interactions with the people around us and in the world. And essentially, TBRI, Trust-Based Relational Intervention, focuses on the caregiver showing up in a way to recognize the trauma-based behaviors and distinguishing the difference between their trauma behavior versus their defiant, at-will disobedience. And by recognizing the trauma behaviors, seeking to offer them alternatives through connection, through connection, through a healthy relationship with a loving, safe caregiver that can help develop more healthy, adaptive coping strategies to engage in connection and relationship with others and in the world around them. So that's TBRI.
0: Okay. And you know something? It sounds like this because A lot of people are survivors, right? A lot of people are surviving. They're just getting from, going from A to B. Really, that's surviving. You've gone from A to B. You've gone through it. I don't shade surviving at all because you got through it. Mm -hmm. But it sounds like this takes you from a place of surviving to thriving, from a place of putting the pieces together to overcoming. And the overcoming part, I'm not sure all of us are at that place yet.
1: Mm -hmm. It's a journey. And so through the trust-based intervention model, we really work with families to help navigate their own individualized journey of healing through connection. And connection involves both mindfulness for the adults in the family system, them being mindful of their own history, their attachment style, any unresolved trauma in their lives, any things that might particularly trigger them that may impact their parenting and their relationship with their children and learning strategies to regulate themselves in order for them to serve as a co-regulator for their children who may not have the capacity to regulate um, depending upon their traumatic history. So Yeah, essentially, it's helping the child learn how to recognize survival skills that may be maladaptive. And to not take those survival skills from them, but replacing those survival skills with alternative skills that are more adaptive and healthy in in interpersonal relationships so that they can connect with people in the world around them.
0: I work often with survivors of domestic violence, and I work with them in different places and phases where they may be. And as you're talking, I'm thinking about those survivors who have come out of it because there's three stories so that they have, they have when they're in it, when they're coming out of it, and then the afterlife after it, right? And so a lot of times even in the afterlife, after you're out of it, you're still exercising those maladaptive behaviors because you haven't gone to that place of overcoming. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this sounds like an excellent way for people to start to come out of that, even recognize, okay, I'm being extremely manipulative right now. I'm being emotionally abusive right now. Whereas before that was a survivor technique when you were in it and now you don't have to be in it anymore. You can come out of
1: it. Yeah. And make the choice to transform those maladaptive behaviors once you're able to recognize it, once you have that self-awareness and can recognize I'm, be- I'm being triggered right now. And as a result of my trigger, I am reverting back to manipulating, for example, or controlling based on this trigger. And I now, because of my awareness, have the ability to choose a more adaptive response. I am safe.
0: I love that you said that because to me, self-awareness is the beginning of breakthrough. When you you don't realize you're experiencing something, that you have to overcome something until you become aware of it.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So
0: it's so important. That is to me the most important phase of all of that. Mm-hmm. Because if you're not aware of it, you kind of are blind that you have a choice and mm-hmm. how you want to move forward.
1: Absolutely.
0: And was there another practice that you use as well or, or that you highly recommend?
1: For my individual work, I mentioned TBRI as you know the modality I use with families, like when I'm working with children and parents and trying to help them navigate their journey from trauma to healing. But in working with individuals who may have had significant trauma usually once again somehow rooted in some form of relational trauma because what's broken in relationship must be healed in relationship that's the the whole premise of TBRI that the caregiver is kind of serving as the means for healing the, the the caregiver figure, the more healthy, nurturing, loving caregiver figure to help create new neural pathways on how to relate and how adults do relate, to to teach their children that that, that they can be trusted, that they can yeah. when they cry, they will respond. They will learn a lot of the children who've experienced complex trauma They had parents who were neglectful, whether it was because of their own mental illness or substance use disorder, perhaps. Or perhaps they were, like you mentioned, a victim of domestic violence and weren't able to show up in a way for their children because they themselves were being abused. The reality is these children lost their voice in their experience of trauma. And so the three attachment goals with the TDR model is really for the caregiver to, to serve as a surrogate caregiver who is more healthy and adaptive and nurturing and loving to rewrite the circuitry of the brain and how they relate to adults and caregivers so they can learn how to give and receive care. First attachment goal. We, we should learn that early on in life and in infancy. When we cry, a caregiver yeah, should come. Really... When we yeah. cry, they should come. When we, when we scratch our knee, cause we fell off a bike, they should nurture our boo-boo. Right. And so the attachment goal is to, to teach Children through healthy relationships that you can give and receive care, that you can use your words to negotiate your needs for those children whose voice may have been lost because when they told someone that they were being abused, they were told they were lying or they were silenced, told that we don't talk about that, you know, to learn that their voice matters. They have some type of self-efficacy. And then lastly, to be content with their autonomous self, you know, to self-actualize and be okay with who they are and their unique differences, even if it involves or includes their trauma history, their scars, their wounds, and the beauty that God can make from ashes, even when we um, commit our life, to a journey of healing from those scars, to being content with our time and stuff. And so that's the work of TBRI and working with families. But individually, I work with individuals using the emotional freedom techniques, which can be utilized with both individuals and couples. It's an attachment-based modality that really helps, once again, with broken in relationship, must be healed in relationships helps couples to recognize dysfunction in their, their relationships, or individuals to recognize historical traumatic relationships and experiences that need repair through reframing those experiences and building on the basis of attachment to do so to heal. And then of course, EMDR, which is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. That is a treatment modality that has been researched for decades now that really helps to unlock those trauma memories that are stored in the central nervous system and mm-hmm. to re- process them so that they can be more adaptive in one's memory of those experiences and that they're not so triggering or activating when they are encounter some type of um, stimuli that connects to whatever that traumatic experience may have been. Those are the treatment modalities that I, I primarily use in my work with trauma survivors.
0: It sounds powerful. Sounds powerful. A lot of times, there's always that trust factor, right? When you're working with someone and making sure that they're feeling comfortable with you to be able to share what happened within their personal trauma. How do you establish that trust with people or how do you build that trust with them?
1: So, first and foremost, I seek to establish a therapeutic alliance and kind of give them autonomy in their journey, right? And acknowledging that I am the quote unquote expert, but I'm not the expert of their experience. So I defer to them to kind of drive the process, to lead the process in determining how and when Mm -hmm. to unpeel the layers of their trauma so that I can help support them in navigating their journey of healing. And so I think trust is built and established when one is assured That their process is, in in fact, their own and that they're validated in their experience and respected to kind of define their own window of tolerance. Right. I'm not going to go in the first session and say, let's let's talk about your abuse when you were six years old. I want to let you have some autonomy in this process and determine your your window of tolerance and how and when we begin to peel back the layers as you navigate um, your journey of healing. So that's that's trust. And then safety is established you know, by way of voice, right? So I ask questions to assess what safety means for my client, right? So I may set up a therapeutic environment that seems really safe to me. I may have white noise in the background and perhaps some essential oils burning. I have a very comfortable love seat for the client to sit in. But depending upon their trauma, any of those things that I may have established in my therapeutic setting may be triggering.
0: Trigger, Right. Mm-hmm.
1: If the scent of an essential oil is a reminder of a scent of an abuser, that could be triggering.
0: Mm-hmm. If
1: sitting on a love seat is a reminder of violation while sitting on a couch, that could be a trigger. And so I create safety by asking, asking questions to ensure that I'm not creating safety from my lenses, but that I and partnering with my clients to establish a sense of felt safety for them, because I can't define safety for you. You define what makes you feel safe. And so the goal is felt safety for me, that I create therapeutic alliances and environment for clients to feel safe, that they have a sense of felt safety in their care with me and in my clinical setting, in my therapeutic environment, not that I have established a perception of what I think the therapeutic environment should look like so they can be safe.
0: I am hearing you say that you validate wherever they are in their journey, because I strongly believe in that, and that Absolutely. you align with them and you walk with them every step of the way, whatever it might look like. So maybe they aren't going to be able to sit on the chair, but maybe they'll be able to sit someplace else. And you're saying it's okay to do that too.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
0: I think that's a powerful thing to do. And I think it's very important to do because a lot of times those who have been dealing with a trauma, part of what has held them back is the lack of voice. Mm -hmm. So giving them a space where they have a voice, Mm -hmm. where they're able to express whatever it is they're expressing and it's not being diminished. Their voice isn't trying to be smothered. You don't have someone saying, oh, what happened didn't happen you know, Mm -hmm. they're not being accused of lying, all of those things. I think it just makes it, I think being able to have a space where you can express what's happening. And the more you express it, however it looks like, this is just my belief system, you guys. So whatever it looks like, you're releasing the toxins from that experience. You're processing what happened. You're allowing yourself to express it because- a lot of times if you keep it in it's going to come out in different ways mm-hmm. it can come out in the form of you know you know depression anxiety and trauma those are my those are my areas so i'll say a lot of times it comes out in a form of depression a lot of times it comes out in some form of anxiety and i'm not talking about generalized anxiety i'm talking about what some of the other more serious types of anxiety is how it comes out. And if you don't deal with that trauma, whatever that trauma might be, it's not going to magically go away. You have to have a way to express it. You have to have a way to get it out. And there are some traumas that have, I don't know how to say this, so I'm going to say you the best way I can, that have caused the wavelengths in your, in your brain to just kind of like get distorted. And you do need something like EMDR to assist you in getting yourself back on track. You do need some things like that because it will help you to get to that stronger place of healing, whatever that healing journey might look like. You know, aren't you in agreement? Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. If I sound passionate about this, it's because I am, I am so passionate about this. I believe in that so strongly. And that is my dog. He believes in it too. So, (laughs) but I truly believe that the key to having a stronger, more effective healing within your life is through getting the help you need when you have experienced a trauma. And there is no insignificant trauma. There is no small trauma. There really isn't. So anything you're dealing with, it's something to have to work through. You know, if you had a divorce, y'all, that's a trauma. I mentioned domestic violence. She's right when she talks about how a lot of it is relational. A lot of it is relational. A lot of it is. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Is there any way people can reach out to you if they're wanting to get more information? Do you have anything coming up? How can people connect with you?
1: Sure. Yeah, so... My office line is four four three two seven two one five two six, and my website is www.iamacenter.com. That's I A M A C E N T E R.com.
0: So y'all, y'all heard her now. So she's in the DMV area. This podcast goes all over the world as well as in the United States. So if you are in California, for example, she may not be able to see you, but she might be able to connect you with some resources of some things that can help you as well. Okay. But if you are in the DMV area, her practice is growing, it is expanding. And as you guys can see, she is she is not just knowledgeable about the subject, but she's passionate about the subject. She's not, you are not just someone that goes. But when you go through her doors, you're not just someone she's going to see. She's someone that she organically wants to assist and support. Okay. So audience, I hope this little snippet of information will help you move forward a little bit further in your healing journey. My hope is that as you go forward in your healing journey, that you experience greater freedom, that you will experience a greater sense of hope, and that perhaps, just maybe, you'll get a little bit greater joy. Thank you for joining us with Elisha Space, and as you guys go forward in your healing journey, be free. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll subscribe so we can keep the conversation going. Now go move forward, in your healing journey.